Hello, welcome to episode five of What Some Will Call Lies and Reruns. I'm Mike Lawson. I used to have a weekly storytelling podcast, and now I'm sharing those stories with you here on the Afterthought Media feed. Hello, how are you? Uh, on this episode, I have two stories from you. Both of them are about jobs that I've had. The first one is called Heidi Ho, Miss Monroe. I originally published it on April 30th of 2012. And now I'm going to share it with you here. The story's had a couple of different lives. I actually wrote a novel kind of based on the same sort of premise. This, what, what's weird is I actually wrote a novel that I then turned into this 10-minute story you're about to hear. Then that 10-minute story became an illustrated zine. So I illustrated this story and published it as part of my Patreon zine project last year. Um, so if you subscribe to that, this story might be familiar to you. Uh, you'll see, though, that some of the details are different because I do tell what some would call lies, it turns out. So uh, here we go. Heidi Ho, Miss Monroe. I hope you enjoy it. Episode 24, Heidi Ho, Miss Monroe. Some friendships fade. People move on, but the influence that some folks have on you and your character stays with you. Hi, my name's Mike Lawson, and I tell what some would call lies. Um, I really love telling stories. I love, I love, I love telling, telling stories. stories. What some would call lies. 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 Vomit. You lying butt of a gun. Kind of creepy. Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. He said. She said. I said. What the hell? Liar, liar, pants on fire. I love your dress. I'm not making this up. You are a goddamn liar. I'm back, bitches. <laughs> I love telling stories. This podcast is in no particular order, a collection of stories from my life that I retell as accurately as I see fit. I have to start the story this week with an odd preface. In 2005, I wrote a fictional novel called The Home that takes place in a long-term care facility for the elderly. And then I was served with papers. I was served a cease and desist order from a nursing facility that I worked for for a short period a few years prior to writing the book as an activities director. The nursing facility's lawyers claimed that my work, which they found through an online critique group that I was part of that had shitty privacy controls, violated the privacy policies that I agreed to prior to my employment at the facility. With all of that being said, I'm going to tell you today a story that takes place in a nursing facility. I am, however, going to be as respectful as possible to the privacy of the characters in the story, so some of the details might be a bit vague, and other details have been changed a bit to ensure that the people in this story are absolutely unidentifiable. If you really want to understand this story, you'll need to understand the secret language that is spoken at a nursing home. The place where I worked was called Shade Tree Healthcare Center. But don't get fooled. It's not a doctor's office or a hospital. It isn't a healthcare center at all. It's always healthcare center instead of godless fire trap used to store elderly people. It's always passed away instead of choked on a strained peach without any friends or family around to say goodbye. And it's always bowel movement 
instead of sitting on the toilet for 20 minutes while your 90-year-old bowels try to remember why God doesn't just take you now. My job as an activities director was to run fun and engaging activities with people that didn't want to have fun or be engaged. I learned early on not to take any of the grump or sass that got thrown my way personally. These people just wanted to rest. And here I was, standing at their doors, begging for them to come to a letter-writing workshop. It's always letter-writing workshop, instead of, let me help you write a letter to someone that has no interest in communicating with you, because if they did, they'd stop by and visit every once in a while. At a quarter to ten on one Wednesday morning, after I set up my magazine collaging activity, I walked down the hallways looking for people to participate. I knew that I had my core participants, Betty, Margaret, Ingrid, and Alice. All of them had really shitty memories, and they forgot how incredibly boring magazine collaging was last week. And then I walked into room 426, Helen Monroe. Heidi-ho, Miss Monroe. She always laughed when I greeted her in this way. I told her that I wanted her to come down to the lounge to do collaging with me. When I first started working at the Shade Tree Healthcare Facility, Helen Monroe didn't attend any activities and refused to leave her room. State law says that nursing facilities like the Shade Tree were required to provide an ongoing program of activities for all residents, regardless of physical, mental, and psychosocial state. So if a resident, like Helen Monroe, refused to leave her room to attend activities, we were required to bring an activity to her. We called them room visits and we had to do three visits a week for 15 minutes at a time. That was hard. It was easier to get her to go to activities. It's always room visit instead of, unless you're really bored, just make up dates and times. I don't want to do no stupid collaging, Helen said. Neither do I, I told her, but my boss is making me. Would you at least come sit and do the crossword puzzle down there to keep me company? Helen would spend hours every morning staring at the crossword puzzle in the local paper. She would fill in boxes, usually incorrectly, and she would never finish. On most mornings, after I tricked her into coming down to the lounge to keep me company, Helen would drink a cup of coffee, and I'd lean in and give her an answer or two on the puzzle. Sixteen across, four letters. The clue was Cleopatra Backdrop. Helen wasn't dumb. Her memory was just slipping. How do you spell Egypt? She asked me. E-G-Y-P-T. No, I think you're spelling it wrong. That's five letters. That's five letters and I've only got four spaces. When she was younger, Helen was an accountant and regularly worked long hours. Good grief, she once told me. I never left my office until my job was done. Some nights I would get home and Bobby would say, Where the hell have you been all night? Bobby was her husband. And I started thinking that if my calculator was a man, Bobby would have divorced me. And I wouldn't have blamed him. But one thing I learned, it's that if 2 plus 2 equals 12, you need to take a break. And don't let anybody, any Bobby, tell you that's not so. I think the answer might be Nile. Try that. N-I-L-E, I said. It fits, she said. Five down. Seven-letter word for diary. Every activity at the shade tree was supposed to be one hour, but 15 minutes into the magazine collaging, the ladies were pretty much done with me. I helped a couple of ladies get back to their rooms. I noticed that Kathy didn't bring her collage with her. Hey, want me to help you hang this in your room? 
I asked. You can keep it, Kathy said. After everyone had left the lounge, Helen and I sat for a while and finished the crossword. Journal, I said. What's that, honey? Seven-letter word for diary. Journal. You're such a smarty, she said. After a half an hour of sitting and doing the crossword, I walked with Helen back to room 426. When we got there, Helen's daughter Patty was sitting on Helen's bed. I was starting to think you forgot about me, Helen said. Patty smiled and looked at me. We both knew that Patty had come to visit yesterday around the same time. Patty always visited. Where are you coming from, Mom? Patty asked. I just went out for coffee with... She looked at me. Now what's your name again? And that was pretty much our normal morning routine. In the beginning, I would pretend to need her company to get her out of her room. But then I started to look forward to sitting with her. I looked forward to helping her with her crossword. And in a strange way, I looked forward to her realizing that she had no idea who I was. I remember sitting with Helen one morning, and we had a crossword clue that really stumped the both of us. The clue was friendliness. It was a six-letter word, and it started with a W, friendliness. But the topic of friendliness, for some reason, made me ask Helen about her friendships. Did you have any married friends that you and Bobby would go out with a lot? I asked her. Do you know what? She said. I am almost 100 years old. If I knew I was going to be around for this long, I would have made better friends. And the answer, six-letter word for friendliness, was warmth. How do I find and make good friends? I asked her. W what are you talking about, honey? She said, already forgetting what she had just told me. One morning, I walked into room 426. Heidi-ho, Miss Monroe. And she was still in bed. I'm not feeling too hot this morning, she told me. So I walked to the nurse's station and got her a newspaper. I'll be back before lunch to work on that crossword with you, I said. She smiled. When I came back later, she was sleeping, so I let her be. The following morning, I checked in with my boss like I normally did. Today or tomorrow, let's get the Christmas decorations out of storage, she told me. We need to do a re-evaluation on Miss Sandoval. Her doctor said that she's bedbound, but we have her down as attending activities four times a week. And Helen Monroe died last night. What? Miss Monroe? How? I don't know yet, but she died here. It's always, she died here, instead of, she didn't put up a fight and probably just passed away without anyone really noticing the way she would have wanted it. To be honest, I thought that I had become jaded to the death of our residents. All the time, there were good people that were alive when I clocked out at the end of a day and dead by the time I clocked in the next morning. But Helen's death was different. On the activity schedule that morning was morning matinee. It's always morning matinee instead of VHS showing of one of the 12 videos that we played over and over and over. I kind of thought it was funny to play Anchors Away, starring a youthful Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly on the morning of Helen's death. She hated musicals. She would be relieved to know that she wouldn't have to sit through this one. I wasn't expecting an invitation to Helen's funeral, and I probably wouldn't have gone if they did invite me. I did, however, ask Patty where they buried Helen, and on an unseasonably warm Sunday afternoon, I drove out to the Forest Lawn Memorial Park for our last room visit. 
It's always Memorial Park instead of Final Stop. I took a crossword puzzle with me and sat with Helen one last time. Heidi-ho, Miss Monroe. And just like when I used to hang out with her in 426, I did most of the talking, and she wasn't a big help with the answers. Alright, up next, we go backward in time and go to a job I had before I was at the nursing home. Um, And now I'm at a barbecue joint. This story is called At That Moment. I originally published it on Tuesday, May 8th of 2012. Here you go. At that moment, I felt like Batman. Hiding in the shadows, jumping at the opportunity to assist people that needed my help, hoping none of my buddies would ever see me and discover my alter identity. But unlike Batman, I wasn't a crime-fighting vigilante. I was a busboy. At age 17, I got a job at a seedy barbecue restaurant that had really bad lighting, deep red leather cushions on the booths, and dark wood walls and tables. And this was the kind of place where everyone had a nickname. Froggy was the bartender. He got his nickname because of his throat cancer-induced ribbit. Red was one of the waitresses. She got her nickname because of her red hair that she always styled into a hairsprayed updo. We were also required to wear tucked-in red polo shirts while working, and Red's red shirt did a really good job of outlining her figure. And I was known as Kid, not only because I was the youngest employee of the restaurant, but also because all of the other employees had been working at this place for like 10 years and had seen many 17-year-old busboys come and go. At that moment, I learned that I wouldn't always be Mike. Sometimes, I'd just be Kid. Bussing tables quickly changes your perspective on the world. When you're clearing tables, you're responsible for getting rid of things that were left behind. So Red, the waitress, she was delivering fresh, neat plates to the tables. But I was quickly discarding people's waste and observing what they had left. Observing their habits. Now I've heard many people that have worked in restaurants condescendingly say that everyone needs to work in food service once in their life. And I will agree to a point. I think it's valuable. Being on the lowest rung of the labor force ladder, cleaning, washing, stocking, handling garbage and food waste, this taught me a lot about the reality of people. But I think it's kind of foolish to say that these skills that I learned as a busboy, and I'm talking about the real skills that I learned, things like customer service, process flow, power, and politics. It's foolish to think that these skills can only be learned at a restaurant. My friend Lauren also worked at a restaurant when she was younger, so and I asked her to help me with the story. In high school called Jason's Deli. I guess it's not really a restaurant. It was a deli. Um, We made really good sandwiches. I took orders at the counter. Um, I was also fairly responsible for cleaning. 
Anyways, yeah, in college I worked at an Italian place called Fratellas. It was really delicious also. They're made for making what they call a frittella, which is, I think, kind of like what most people call calzones. It's like pizza that they stuff and then deep fry. Yeah, really healthy. My job was filled with little when-you-can tasks. When you can fill the salt shakers, when you can cut these 20 lemons into wedges, when you can go wash your hands. One of the when you cans that I absolutely hated was marrying the barbecue and ketchup bottles. You're familiar with this term, right? Well, if not, quickly, marrying ketchup is when you combine two not-so-full bottles of ketchup to make one full bottle. It's pretty standard practice, and it's really disgusting. I did this to like 10 to 15 bottles every night. So just imagine how old the ketchup at the bottom of the bottle is. Well, our manager, whose nickname was Twigs, because she was 6 foot tall and like 85 pounds, but we never called her Twigs to her face, she gave me permission to throw away some of the ketchup and barbecue sauce bottles if they were, in her words, if they were grody. She was referring to the caked-on sauce that hardened and made it so the bottle wouldn't close all the way. And in my opinion, when the barbecue sauce at the bottom of a bottle was too thick to pour, or if it was discolored, that was grody. So I started throwing a lot of bottles out. And then one day when I was clocking in, Twigs stuck her head into the back room and said, We need to be better at cleaning off some of the barbecue sauce bottles and using them for a bit longer. This last month, we doubled the number of bottles we sent out. Thanks, kid. At that moment, I learned that people will say that they trust your opinion, but they don't mean it. At that moment, I learned that cowards say things like, we need to do something, instead of, you need to do something. At that moment, I learned that you could get in trouble for doing the right thing. One thing I was really responsible for was cleaning out the toppings bar for the baked potatoes we made which I constantly got in trouble for because instead of just putting the new ingredients on top, I would do the proper thing and I would put the new ingredients on top and then I would dump the whole contents of whatever I was filling up into a new container so that the new stuff was at the bottom and the old stuff was at the top and so it would be used the next day. Well, that meant I took longer to close at night so my manager got angry at me because I was taking too long and I was just frustrated because I felt like I was doing the right thing. One of the hardest things that I had to do as a busboy was to manage the soup. At our restaurant, the soups came in frozen, concentrated bricks. It took 30 minutes to get from brick to bowl. And my job was to make sure that we never ran out of a soup, but also to make sure that we didn't overmake any soup and have to waste it at the end of an evening. 
so I always found myself stirring the clam chowder and double-checking the levels because I was paranoid about running out of soup or making too much. And because of this, this is how I fell in love with clam chowder. I wanted to eat chowder all the time. I never even ate clam chowder before I started working at this place. Not once. But once I started working there and once I started stirring it and cooking it and scooping it out and delivering it to tables, I couldn't think about eating anything else. Actually, at both places, I did the thing what you're not supposed to do, which is, you know, to eat back there. Um, At Jason's Deli, they always had really delicious fresh fruit in the refrigerator that I would like go and be doing whatever I was doing back there and I would pop a strawberry or piece of melon or something. It was delicious. And then at Fratella, not only did they have deliciously fresh baked bread, but then the sauces they would use on their pasta were super good too. So I would take a little slice of bread, put a little sauce on there and then eat it. You're not supposed to eat when you're making food, I guess, but, um, you know, I wasn't sick or anything. Okay. This is kind of gross. Red, the waitress, she had really long acrylic nails and she got them airbrushed and painted and all these different colors and designs. And because she had all these colors and designs, she liked to show them off. So I saw these things up close all the time. And I knew that on the underside of her nails, there was just a disgusting grime, like food residue and it was disgusting. And even more disgusting, the grime was kind of orangish in color because it was dyed by all of the barbecue sauce that she came in contact with. And on many occasions, I watched Red grab a crouton with her long nails from the salad prepping station, and then she would dip the crouton and her nails into the blue cheese dressing and then stick her nails, the crouton, and the dressing into her mouth. At that moment... I learned that restaurant food is only as good as the people making it. See, while I was working in college, I had class in the morning and then I was supposed to be working the lunch shift. Um, I went to class in what I usually went to class in, which were khaki pants, which was part of my work uniform. And then I would just wear a t-shirt and change into the obligatory polo shirt when I got out of class. Well, one day I went to class with my khaki pants, a t-shirt, and flip-flops. I didn't realize until I was pulling into the parking lot at work that I was wearing flip-flops and not the required closed-toed shoes. So, freaking out, because if I ran home to get closed-toed shoes, I'd be late, I went in to my boss and I explained to him, you know, I was so sorry, I was in class, I didn't have time to run home, change into tennis shoes, and so I had flip-flops on. Well, The problem was I had plenty of time to go home to change into my tennis shoes. It's just that I completely forgot that I was wearing flip-flops and didn't have my tennis shoes in the car with me. So I lied to my boss. He was a little upset. Um, What he had me do was just stay in my flip-flops until the lunch rush was over. Um, Instead of working in the front of the house like I usually would do, just taking food out to the customers, I stayed in the back of the house and helped prep the plates and do whatever I could do from the back without anyone actually seeing the fact that my toes were hanging out of my flip-flops. One busy Sunday, I was carrying a tray of about seven drinks to a table. As I lifted one drink from the tray, 
I overcorrected the shift in balance, and that tray was going down. In an effort to save the people at the table from getting a soda shower, I pushed the tray toward myself and caught all of the drinks on my chest. I then cleaned up the mess and poured new drinks for these people. This time I carried them two at a time instead of attempting a tray. And when I walked into the manager's office, Twig said something like, Is it raining? Or, you know drinks are supposed to go in your mouth, right? Or some other stupid joke that your grandfather would probably tell. I can't have you going home yet, she said, after I told her that I wanted to go home quickly to change. Why don't you throw this on? She threw me a rolled up t-shirt that she got from her purse. Dress code at this place was strict. And I remember people being sent home because, like Lauren, they didn't have the right shoes on or the wrong shirt. On this day, however, Twigs let me pass. At that moment, I learned that rules can be broken, as long as it benefits the person responsible for enforcing them. Working with food is less than glamorous. Restaurants are cruel, unloving teachers. But after a long shift, when the exhaustion and exhilaration hit at the same time, when the tired satisfaction takes over, you can sit back and know that although none of them remember who you are, you did help some people today. <laughs> like Batman. done two more stories shared and if you join me next episode i'll share two more stories with you uh the stories i want to share with you next episode are called king of the streets meets prince of the alleys and that's about a douchebag boss i used to have and then another story called integrate this which is about a math class i almost failed in high school sounds like a party join me for the next episode guys see you then Bye bye I like to eat pizza.